HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's January 17th, 2017, and uh, I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Beer City. We've got some special friends here from Asheville, North Carolina. All right, guys. We'd like to welcome uh, Doug and Jazz Riser. You guys, how are you doing? All right? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having us. Tim Gormley. Hello. J.T. Murray. Howdy. And our pal Josh Bernstein is also back in the studio. Howdy. All right. Big shout out to uh, Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and lagers, who are our sponsors. And you can check us on Instagram and Twitter, at beer underscore sessions. I think Miguel, the beer tracker, is going to be taking some photos today. If not, you can follow what, at Burial Beer on uh, Instagram. You guys might be posting, too. Oh, you but, know. Uh, it's actually the afternoon. We'll, we'll be, you and Harris will be going live at 5 o'clock. But this is a pretty cool show. So, um, Josh, give us a little background on, on Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, what the beer scene's like. You know, Asheville's always been a fantastic art city. And then the art city and sort of the culture and music has really been complemented in the last decade or so by a really ascendant beer scene. You saw it kind of start organically with people like Pisgah and then... Um, I'm blanking on everything. Green Island. Man. Yeah, Greenland. Green Man. Yep, all those ones before. And then over the last few years, you saw the bigger breweries come in, like Sierra Nevada. You saw New Belgium. You see Oscar Blues outside. But that's also been complemented by this like really amazing wave of breweries focusing on everything from um, you know IPAs at Wicked Weed to Burial, which really rocks it out. Farmhouse beers. You have IPAs. And then what we're drinking today, a Kolsch. Nice. So how did you guys come together? This, you guys, like, meeting you in person, I feel like this is kind of like the, the cool characters that made a great rock band. You know, you, you guys each have <laughs> yes. your personality. You got it right. And tell us how this band came together, how you stay together, and how you kept growing, because a lot of times bands break up. That's kind well, of dorky. I'm trying to do a little journalistic Yeah, no, it's great. It works. How's that, Josh? Uh, well, Doug and I met um, 13 years ago in college um, and kind of made our way to different 
parts of the country, ending up in Seattle about, I guess, 10 years ago, um, which is, I know, which is um, where we met Tim soon after we moved there. Tim's from um, Pennsylvania. And the three of us just, you know, got together. Tim had already kind of made his transition into craft beer from Macros, and Doug and I were still kind of in that throw from living in New Orleans, which had zero craft beer 10 years ago. Um, and so we just would get together and do like an IPA night or, um, you know, a stout night. And we just kind of started to become more involved in the craft beer community. We started writing a blog. And at some point, I don't really have a specific moment or day, but we just all realized that, you know, we would regret it for the rest of our lives if we didn't open a brewery. And so that was probably three years before we actually moved from Seattle is when the three of us decided to open a brewery. So what attracted you to Asheville? Well, oh, you go. Different voice. <laughs> uh, a heck of a lot of things. You know, it started with Tim. Doug, Tim this is Doug. This is Doug. <laughs> Softly. <laughs> this is Doug. Um, a lot of things. You know, we, Jess and I had our first baby, baby Axel who was born in 2011, and we um, were sick of taking red eyes to go see Grandma and Grandpa and just thinking ahead and looking at life ahead and being like, Jesus, man, it's going to really suck for our kid to not know it's uh, his family members. And uh, decided it was time to go back east, and uh, Tim had visited Asheville to go see a friend and came back just absolutely gushing, absolutely in love with, with the scene and... Um, the arts, the music, the beer world that was blossoming at the time. I mean, this is a time of that first wave of Asheville brewers. Like Josh said, I remember him coming back talking about Pisgah and Wedge Brewing, who was, Wedge was like the new up and comer Mm -hmm. at the time, you know, um, in 2011. So this predates Wicked Weed, High Wire, Burial, Fauna Flora. Um, So he came back gushing about it. We picked, what, seven cities? We're like, we're going to go mid-Atlantic. We're trying to keep a, a lot of sun. Because we had been in black Seattle for six years, and I was done with that. So we were like, we want a lot of sun, but we want really nice outdoors like we had in the Northwest. But we want some damn good people like we had down in New Orleans. And, and we had just an incredible culture of, of festivities down in New Orleans. And we wanted to kind of try to find a place that was as lively as that. So uh, we picked seven cities. Asheville was the first one we visited based on his recommendation. And we made it about 24 hours in Asheville before we were like, well, we're moving here. <laughs> so it, it was a pretty easy decision. I mean, it was the perfect cross-section of, of people, uh, lively culture, arts, music, food, beverage, all the things that we loved about living in a metropolitan city. That's, those are the things that mattered to us. It wasn't about all the other, the other factors. Um, but being able to have a small enough community that we could make a, a, an impact in and, and know our neighbors and know the people we see at the grocery store and our kids feel like they were part of a real community. And so it, it was that perfect marriage of, of the great north or the outdoors like we had in the northwest, the people that we knew in the south, and that small-town environment that we really wanted for our kids. So why did you guys open a brewery? I mean, everyone's open breweries, but why did you open a brewery and not a bar or a cafe? Well, uh, when we were in Seattle... This is Tim. Hello, I am Tim. Uh, when we were in Seattle, um, you know, like Jess kind of alluded to, we just kind of fell in love with the culture that we found in in the beer world, uh, whether that was through knowing owners of bars, um, 
craft beer bar, bartenders, brewers, brewery owners. Um, that was just kind of the world that we we fell into. And then Doug and I started home brewing, and uh, I got a couple professional brewing gigs out there, and it just um, it. I guess it kind of uh, it allowed us to be a part of part of the culture that we wanted to be a part of on, on like basically the a maximum scale where we could be creative uh, we could really make a, a name for ourselves josh when did you first meet these guys the burial guys oh gosh i took this really ill-fated road trip i had this idea that my wife now take our 13 month old daughter on this 10 day oh, yeah. road trip from <laughs> new york city to asheville and nashville and so we got about six hours into it, and I was like, this is the worst idea ever. And it was cold out. I remember it being snowy when you were in Asheville. So we got to, we got to Asheville, and it was like, after all this stuff, and I'm like, you know what? I need to get some something to drink. <laughs> and so where do you go with the kid? And you go to breweries with the kids. So we took our uh, 13-month-old daughter down to the brewery, let her scream, do her stuff. And then, uh, yeah, I met them. They had, um, oh, gosh, it was salt and uh, smoke the brunch. Yeah. I think it's Sunday brunch out there, too. And it's like a really um, cozy and environment just hanging out with them shooting the shit while kids run around and you know got to kind of decompress after the stupid idea to go on a road trip which <laughs> continued for eight more so days. you guys started really small though too right so you kind of grew organically we did yeah we started on a one barrel system um so that was june 2013 and we we i was at tim <laughs> brewed on that system for a year and a half um and for that first year and a half it was just the three of us um, and then for the since then, so for the past I guess two years, we um, have ex- we expanded at that space to a ten barrel system, which then led to, you know, a few more employees. Um, we were able to open our tap room seven days a week instead of just being open two days a week, where the three of us were bartending. So now we have you know started to grow a front of house staff, and um, we were able to purchase that building and the property, and it's about what, a quarter of an acre, it's almost a half an acre, right? and which is obviously fairly large for like an urban spot um so then it kind of just grew organically due to you know our hard work and just kind of dedication to the community and getting to know the people that have supported us since day one tim what are operations like there you're in Asheville. i mean you have access to suppliers yeast you were talking about that before yeah we're super fortunate to be you know not that not that far away from atlanta uh, so we have um, great suppliers for for malt there that we can access malts from all over the world. Um, and in even, Asheville, even in Asheville, there's one now. Um, so kind of a distributor of uh, malt and brewing supplies. Uh, White Labs is just right on the cusp of opening a uh, new lab in Asheville, which is going to be huge for us. Uh, just having, obviously access and you know not having to pay huge prices for shipping just having access to the lab getting whatever random test we want to get we can get right there um and just having so many other breweries around us uh to help out you know it's like if we if we're about to brew a beer and we realize last minute that we we forgot to buy honey malt uh we have like 25 other breweries that we can ask if they have an extra bag. And I have no shame and we'll ask all of them <laughs> without hesitation. We also have a local maltster um, we would be remiss to not mention, Riverbend Malt. I mean, to have North Carolina grown six-row, two-row barley, wheat, and rye 
as well as them sourcing some more more regional products like the Seashore Rye that we did a beer with, that Tim did a beer with, with Revelry Brewing out of Charleston. So cool to be able to access that and have that grown in your backyard and say, hey, we make North Carolina beer with North Carolina products. Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of a microcosm of the larger North Carolina agrarian world where we have tons of fruits and vegetables at our at our grasp, but just well, that's great. We're just setting the tone for the show, and we'll talk about that. But uh, just quick, quick hi. Uh, it's TJ, right? Uh, JT. <laughs> JT. Yes. Some, some people call me TJ. It's all right. <laughs> but, uh, so you're, you're, the, you're like the new brewer part of the brewing team? Yeah, I came on uh, as kind of like the first brewer hire for Tim. Uh, after the 10-barrel the system got put in place, we got some 30-barrel tanks, and Tim was triple brewing into those 30-barrel tanks, and, you know, he... He was brewing by himself for so long. He just, you know, he can't can't physically uh, do that. There's not ma- that many hours in the day. So, I came in um, to help him with that, and then we opened up our new production facility uh, and started brewing there in October. Um, so I moved from our original location now the the head brewer, head production brewer of our, our new facility. Well, that's up. It's nice meeting you guys. We're, we're setting the stage. We'll be back in a few minutes. We'll talk more about beer on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, we got a burial beer from Asheville, North Carolina here. How are you guys? Welcome back. Rocking. Yeah. So good. Yeah, we got Josh Bernstein. So we just had Hello. a JT, the, the new brewer. Do you um, mean TJ? Yeah, TJ. Yeah, yeah. TJ or JT. They're just letters. Tommy John. <laughs> so, you know, before we came on air, they were waiting for beer, and I said, I said uh, Doug, you got beer? And uh, you almost didn't have beer. What, what happened? Oh, I mean, we only bring half of our brains when we leave. Asheville, so we we left uh, we left it all in the hotel. Sadly, it's there's a whole. The good news is that everybody that sees us after this radio yeah. show will get beer handed to them. The bad news is Matt Lefkowitz from Union had to drive over here and drop off a case of this Kolsch. The good news is you got cold Kolsch, and that's better than warm Kolsch. So Kolsch, so so, there's, there's a lot of positives. So you guys are making a big bet on Kolsch. You know, these days sometimes the lighter styles are not as easy to kind of sell. You know, it's double IPAs, this Imperial, that Barrelage, whatever. Especially so, in the middle of January. Especially <laughs> the middle of January. So you know what? You know Kolsch though. You guys did like a big what sixty barrel batch of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We canned every single drip of it. Um, 
you know, I, I would um, just, uh, so this beer is like our first time that we all looked at each other and said, let's just make what the hell we want to make. And uh, forever, you know, you kind of analyze the market tendencies. And we all, when you brew a beer and you're around it all the time and you're tasting out of tanks, you know, your palate is just washed with endless, you know, gunk, yeast, and hops and everything. And at the end of the brew day, not that I can talk because I never brew, but uh, <laughs> the theoretical these guys brew would say, yeah, at the end of my executive at the end of their brewing brew day, day, I like to crack I, open. I executive one. brew pretty well. You can ask some of the local guys that I've executive brewed with, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, man, all you want is something light, refreshing. It's going to wash your palate and go down easy and not get you too drunk, so you can hang out and and socialize with your friends. When we came up with Billows, I was actually really hungover at Blind Tiger and was drinking a boat beer. Um, from Augie's Brewery and absolutely just loved what Colchise did to my palate. I, f- I find this like great, like mild salinity almost to it and the, the sharpness of the sulfur. And I was like, man, I just want to make a Kolsch, but I want to add an American hop flair to it. I don't want to make a session IPA. I want to make a Kolsch with an American hop flair so that there's like a nice fruitiness to it and it kind of satisfies my desire for hops. But also treats me like a Kolsch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Josh, your new book is the complete IPA book. That is, I, look know. at that. Plug, 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 plug. I love your books, Josh. <laughs> Thank but, you, Jimmy. Um, so now we're drinking, we're drinking a Kolsch. Um, are there other American Kolsches that you would recommend? Because I think this one's pretty great. This is definitely a crush. Wait, this beer. one kind of falls in the line with like the, the modern taste right now. You know, you kinda, we've kind of reached this point where you kind of have to add hops to almost everything. People are demanding hops, even in Kolsch, which is classically... Has a little bit of fruity characteristic from the yeast strain on there, crispness from the lagering on there. But you know, you add some American hops on there, and it's like it's a wonderful, beautiful beer on there. You know, for me as other ones, you know, I tend to go for pilsners more than Kolsch's these days, which is just sort of you know I want that crisp zap, all the refreshment. Like locally, threes, Vliet, it's sort of the go-to one. And is, is this actually is it a lager or is it an ale like a real Kolsch? Uh, technically, it is an ale. Uh, but we kind of treat it like it's a lager. Um, that's it's uh, a little bit cooler on the fermentation side, and then um, the longer you can give it cold conditioning, the more kind of clean it will be. I mean, we're drinking this beer out of a can right now. If you pour it into a glass, it's crystal clear, and that's kind of that's what it's supposed to look like. But it also does aid in that like drinkability, like Doug was talking about. It's just a real crusher. And what's it like having JT? We he said a few TJ? words before. Yep. TJ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. my name more. Say some more. Yeah. <laughs> just, it, it sounds better sorry. now. Yeah. Sorry. What was the question? Um, you know, you, since you've come to the brewery, you know, what have yep. you been add, be able to add to them, or you know, what's what's different about? Jimmy's asking, it? how are you earning your paycheck? JT oh, <laughs> we went to around? school. The rest of us. <laughs> art brewers. JT actually knows what the hell he's doing. Yeah, I did. I did uh, go to brew school out of uh, Vermont. Um, and then, so yeah, I have some brewing science that I was definitely able to bring to the table. Um, With the American Brewers? American Brewers Guild, yeah. Right. Uh, and then, honestly, I, I worked at Lagunitas. Uh, well, I did my apprenticeship at Lagunitas through the school. So um, definitely have a production background, and that's, I think... Uh, definitely helped us get our production facility up and running uh the new 20 barrel four vessel system 60 barrel tanks it's a jump 
And then with you guys coming up here, so you're in New York City. We met you last year. You were at a party at Folk's Beer. Yeah, what, what happened during that party? What was so special about that party <laughs> last year? So we had a party at Folk's Beer, which is so up in the third tasting room in Brooklyn. What was special about that what, party, what? man? That was amazing. So we basically tried to get together a bunch of the uh, New York City breweries, have a good warm welcome. Burial showed up, and then also a snowstorm did too and this was the catastrophic snowstorm last year basically the only snow we got in new york city it's about 28 29 inches and then they looked outside after hanging out the party having a libation or two and what did you think was the right move i had to crack another mr bill lowe's to tell the story because it's so haunting of a tale haunting Uh, or harrowing or both both combined (laughs) times two um yeah uh I mean, you can. I, I'll I'll start it, but I mean, it, in general, we walked outside and it was like there was snow starting to accumulate. Tim and I were like, we need to get home. We have beautiful women waiting for us back home. But home is ten hours away, home not is, ten minutes away. Home is ten to eleven hours away, <laughs> driving full speed. Um, and you know, we we basically. We basically made a decision, like, we, if we don't yeah, leave now, we're was, not getting out. It was now or never, we yeah. felt like, because we were going to get trapped in the city for at least a couple of days, we felt like. So so, we, so they risked their lives. <laughs> we uh, we just, uh, decided to pull the trigger at probably midnight or something like that, <laughs> uh, because that's when it started to accumulate. And it, let's just say it was slow going. Um, I think it took us about 22 hours or something like that to get home. And there was many, many parts of that drive where we were driving, moving, but we were not sure if we were even on the road. It was, we, we like, couldn't see. You know, see. like, imagine the movie Mad Max, but if it was snow instead of sand. So you guys... That is what we saw the entire way home. It was trucks overturned and cars buried. We must have seen hundreds and hundreds of overturned and cars. And Justice, what did you tell them to do? Did they ask you? Well, I was home in Asheville, and I do recall Doug alluding to the fact that it was because of me that he decided to (laughs) make this, one might say, bad decision. Um, For the love of a good one. The other thing I want to add is that they didn't have anything in the car with them, no food or water, but they had two cases of beer. (laughs) Thank you, other half. (laughs) That's both, though. That's food and beer. <laughs> this is like a rock and roll story, Josh. It's like it's like Tim, Doug, we and Jess. They hired a drummer. <laughs> there was like a few, JT, a a few stops like, for several hours where Tim and I are just like, I mean, we might as well have beer. I mean, at this point, <laughs> right? What else? We, this is the only way we could get water into our body. Also eating food. Uh, or, or the snow. Yes, that's true. We got nourishment and hydration and dehydration at the same time. So, but since you came up and you've been up here before, so you, how many collaborations have you done? Name a couple of the New York City breweries you guys made collaborations with. Because you guys are making yeah, an impact. We, Everybody wants to work with you. We, we did uh, so the, the, first, <laughs> the, first, the first collab we did was with Other Half. Um, it was fantastic. We made a Cascadian Dark Ale, something that meant a lot to Tim and I and Sam um, Richardson from Other Half, who grew up in Portland and brewed in Seattle as well. Um, that same trip, we brewed uh, a beer called NC1, black, made with black lemon and local sumac uh, and honey. To be released this which, week. Which with a, transmitter. Mixed, yeah, I was about to say a mixed culture Saison made with transmitter that we're going to release this week while we're up here, which is pretty awesome. It was made a year ago. And then uh, we came back up in December? November. Came yeah, back November. up in November. Well, two months ago in November. And brewed yes. an Imperial Stout that's now resting, I think, in cognac barrels with other half again. 
um, which was um, which was put on for our Christmas Tom Selleck party that we did down in Asheville, which was an amazing debacle. And, and how all, and how many beers? Angles. And how many beers did you shotgun when you were up in New York City to brew that? Yeah, beer? that was fun. Uh, thanks to Threes and Mickel and. Josh and everybody else who forced those beers down my throat. Um, and beer bonging. And beer, yeah, yeah, beer bongs and shots. Don't hang out with Justin from Threes. It is just a bad <laughs> idea. I want everyone to know that. Um, so we, Justin Israel. So, so and this, like, jump ahead. I got So this is our fourth trip, and we're bringing with Threes this week. So awesome. I want to make sure. I so that. we're going to talk. You're here. You're doing a lot of things in New York City, but. Since we're talking about drinking and, and the cultures of, of drinking, tell us about what, what your tap rooms are like. You know, you you've got a, a, a brewery, you have a tap room. What is what are the laws like in North Carolina? Can I go in there and get a pint? You know, what, what is your tap room like? What's your ethos? You guys doing giveaways, mm-hmm. glassware? You know, yeah. what's what's your tap room like in Asheville? Well, um, because we started small brewing wise, our tap room was also very modest when we started um it <laughs> to say Putting the least it nicely um so you know we believe in the so the laws allow you to come have a pint have many pints take beer to go um from a retail standpoint um north carolina is a very liberal state with alcohol laws which is great beer anyway um liquor is a little different um so so for us, we kind of treat our tap room much like a European tavern and like the history of why, you know, people kind of coming together over beer, um, people bringing their children, their grandparents, a place that... Their um, dogs. Their dogs. A place that, you know, spans the whole community and that it's not about coming and getting wasted. So this isn't like a, a nightlife kind of place. It, we close at 10 um, so, so what role does food play with you guys? Because food's always sort of been a thing that's sort of gone hand in hand with what you've done at burial at the tap room. Yeah, so we finally were able to have permanent food through some finagling with, you know, city zoning and all that fun stuff. Um, so Salt and Smoke, we partnered with a husband and wife team. They opened a permanent kitchen um, by way of purchasing a food trailer that we tacked onto the back of our building because our building's too small to have a cooler in it, let alone a whole kitchen. Um, and so they have been killing it. They opened in June. and But prior to that, I mean, we've always drawn inspiration from culinary Standpoints and you know um, adjuncts that we use in our beer and and all of that, but yeah. Yeah, and you guys are in a very unique neighborhood in Asheville, South Slope. It used to be a former manufacturing warehouse district, which has yes. sort of become the um, is it the new hub for breweries with uh, Catawba's down there, Wicked Weeds yeah, down there. You guys, Leaf, um, the Tasty Beverage Company, and yeah, so on. Ramari, tons. Yeah, it's definitely become a walk like a beer tour, you know, via walking for sure. And one of the key features of I think all those tap rooms is that you're in the brewery, and that's mm-hmm. one of the coolest things I think people don't get to see in a lot of other brewery areas. Is that I mean, you walk into Burial, you're like on Tim's ass, you know. I mean, and, and sorry, Tim. I mean, he has to deal with that. But but you know, you go into Twinleaf, you go into Burial, you go into Catawba, you go into Bramari. Um, high wire, all those tap rooms. I mean, their brew houses are three feet away from where you're standing, so you yeah, get to so, see where the beer's made. Yeah, and, and that's like a beautiful thing day. about craft is that accessibility, you know, for the consumers to, you know, see that work in progress and see the people who are executing <laughs> the product that they're then drinking, that whole like full circle 
kind of approach. So tell us about some of your other beers. I, I, I only had your beers last year when you came up. You did those collaborations. But, you know, we've got this Kolsch right now. Um, you know, a lot of Kolsch. Yeah. What, what, are the, what, are, what are the beers that are in demand that, that you're actually going to be sending to New York City eventually? Shadowcock Pilsner all the time. The Pilsner. Just drink Pilsner. It's great. You should always drink Pilsner. Well, um, well Tim, sorry, what I have to pitch that one. Tell me what you really think. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, we really aim to tackle a lot of different styles. Uh, we, we before we opened Burial, we took this kind of vision quest trip to Europe. Um, spent some time, a lot of time in Belgium, uh, some time in France, Netherlands, Germany. Got, got a lot of inspiration from that trip. Uh, kind of fell in love with the whole concept of the farmhouse brewery in Wallonia and the surrounding areas. Uh, kind of tried to bring a lot of that back. We do make a lot of Belgian beers, um, not necessarily the the big biggest sellers <laughs> all the time, but um, but yeah, of course we 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 love that. We you, you come in a burial tasting room and we have probably three, four saisons on. I love brewing saisons. I think it's like such a beautiful kind of canvas to uh, make a lot of different variations with. Use a lot of different cool adjuncts, local ingredients. Um, of course, we make a lot of IPAs because. We love them, but also because everyone wants them. And they sell. Um, <laughs> and it's a business. <laughs> exactly. Is, is, there, is there an Asheville style of beer, Josh? Or are each guy's different? I haven't been to Asheville like eight months. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I would say there's things people come to Asheville seeking out. Like come to Wicked Weed and the lines are at yeah. the door to drink like really dank, like fresh, fragrant IPAs. You go to... Um, Oyster House, you get to sit back, drink a fun oyster stout, and get some seafood. You go to Wedge, sit outside, you get a kind of classic mid-2000s pale ale and play horseshoes or something. So, I mean, I think Asheville, it's less about style-driven and more about environment-driven, I'd say, for all the breweries there. It's about the places you hang out at and less about sort of the, um, you know, one certain beer. Yeah, I w- it's it's funny. The only thing that didn't come up yet was our our, sta- our dark beers, and that's really what most people come to burial for is for the donut stout or the raspberry chocolate porter or the the horchata <laughs> brown or the coconut brown. We make a lot of dark beers that are very complex, it, difficult beers, and we put a lot of those in cans. It was funny the first time I went to uh, went to burial. They gave me a sampler of a bunch of the different beers out there. I was trying them all. Like, what do you think about this? And I'm like, um, it's okay. And now they're like, well, this is the one everyone loves. Our burial skillet stout and i'm like well it's great cool stuff Fantastic. And, and quickly so <laughs> tell us what are you guys doing in new york city so a quick itinerary by the time the show's airing now it's it's after five o'clock tuesday we're living night. in the past but it's airing yeah. in the future where yes. are you guys tuesday wednesday thursday this week in new york city well this is our launch week um so from this week on burial will be available of course um you know as available as it is until it sells and then the next shipment but so tonight we are doing a split tap takeover at haymaker um it starts at 6 p.m and that's in the fashion district manhattan yeah mm-hmm. and then tomorrow night we have an event at torst they open at noon so that's when they'll be tapping the beers it's going to be seven burial taps some um canned beers as well and that'll run all evening we'll be there around seven to say hi uh thursday is threes where it's a boilermaker event so we're kind of bringing our love of light beers, our Kolsch, our Pilsner, the collaboration we did with Three's Brewing um, at our brewery in July. Both ways. Both ways. IPL. 
which we can't wait to drink because we've been out of the tap room. So light beers paired with a knockout shot. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, exactly. Here's the lightest beer, beer yes. you can drink paired yeah, with whiskey. And a couple of whiskey. taps there. And then Friday. Hey, we make beer for ourselves <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and we do events sometimes for ourselves. <laughs> um, and then Friday is Proletariat, where it's Burial and Friends. So we have six be- draft beers going there, some bottles and cans, including um, our other half collab. Um, I left my wallet at a bedside juice bar, double dry hop, <laughs> double IPA. Um, and then we ha- will have our transmitter collab there, as well as our threes collab. And then those three breweries will also have kegs on tap. So. Awesome. Hey, this is going to be a great week with Burial Beer in New York City. We'll be back yeah, in a woo. few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo. Cheers. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We got the boys in the band right here. Jess, Tim, and Doug with JT on drums. Woo! Josh Bernstein. Woo! Very Beer Band Tour. Jimmy's number 43 coming up. Who's our roadie? Yeah. Hey, and again, check us out. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We start building a can pyramid. I think I'm the roadie. And we got Justin Kennedy and David. So it's been a fun show. You guys kicking back. It's a little different pace. It's like the North Carolina pace. But I want to circle back. We talked about, I said my buddy on Untapped, he's going to be disappointed because there's only one beer. It's the Billows Kolsch. But that's okay. We're mentioning the other beers. You can log them in. But you mentioned uh, North Carolina malts and grains. Let's talk about the, the, you know farm products that you're using. That, that's something that sets North Carolina apart from other states. So um, who wants Doug? You want to keep talking about that? Well, I'll, I'll start. I want Tim. Uh, Tim and JT can probably say more about it. But I do want to say, you asked earlier, Josh. You know what's the Asheville style of beer? And I've been asked that question so many times. And trying to forecast what's ahead for Asheville is about as best as I can do. Or, or for North Carolina beer. And because of our vast agrarian uh, culture there, and because of the, the success of breweries like Wicked Weed and Fauna Flora and Humbly Burial, um, you know, focusing on, on local, locally sourced farmhouse-style beer, I, th- I think that that is, uh, that is kind of the future of Asheville beer. Uh, people want what's local. People want to have a, a bit of the local terroir. And... Uh, uh, a brewery. Uh, I would. I'd be really angry at myself if I didn't say Zebulon. Zebulon Brewing. Uh, Brewing is a a great brewery owned by uh, Mike Karnowski, who used to be at Green Man. He uh, is doing stuff with spontaneous fermentation and native cultures to Asheville area. So, I would just bring that up to kind of start the conversation that I do see Asheville beer kind of going that direction, and we do have just an immense array of not only native plants but also kind of uh, stuff that's been brought into the area. Oh, go ahead, John. I was going to say it's really it's really interesting to me because we get a lot of beer that comes to New York City these days, but we get very little North Carolina beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so you're one of the first breweries to really make the leap and come to New York City and try to find your place. So I guess where do you see sort of burial fitting in New York City, and why did not now seem like the right opportunity to really make a chance here? Here we go. 
<laughs> well, no, uh, I don't want to go. <laughs> you never know who's going to talk on the air. So. Well, um, first of all, I grew up in Brooklyn. Yeah. So um, for us, new markets, and again, kind of relating it back to our start and the sense of community that we've built um, at our tap room, um, is something that we want to have in other markets. And obviously, New York is a giant city, but it is my hometown at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And so having that connection of community from the roots that I have here is something that was very important to us. Um, you'll see burial in the future in Philly. I was going to say, if you asked that question about Philly, yeah. Tim would have answered it in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, and then um, someday Cleveland for Doug. Um, so, so I, that is really, this brewery is an extension of who we are and what we love and where we came from. And so this market is one of those facets. Um, finding a place here, um, having the friends that we have made here has certainly made that leap less intimidating. You know, other half, threes, transmitter, everybody else, that's just to name three, um, in this industry has been just, you know, again, community, right? It's part of the industry and part of why we love it so much so yeah i mean a, a big part of the reason you decide is because of where the hell you want to be like mm-hmm. i want to be up here in new york we used to live here we love it the, my favorite beer bars in the country are here i'm not going to name them because i don't want to be prejudiced but <laughs> good beer uh, Wait, tim <laughs> north carolina farms ingredients malt grains yeah. What yeah, makes, what I, I was mentally prepared to answer yeah. that, and then I got thrown a curveball. And um, Swing. yeah, yeah. So Swing bad bad. you know, we, we were very fortunate to have this really cool organization called New Appalachia, um, which is basically a co-op of a, a lot of farms in Western North Carolina. So it's kind of like a single sales source for many, many farms. So uh, we get this, uh, well, now is, you know, we're a bit off season, of course, but um, we get throughout the, the spring, summer and fall, we get these emails and basically just saying, these are all the things that we have available. Sometimes if we are specifically looking for something, we can kind of send it to them instead of having to really seek out every individual farm and figure out who's growing turmeric that we really want to use or whatever the case may be. So, um, there is a huge, uh, huge amount of of really cool farms, farmers, people that want to be in, I mean, Asheville is just such a collective type of a community. Like everyone just wants to support each other. Everyone, you you know, the whole like buy local thing is obviously it's a national kind of craze, but it's, it's not a craze in Asheville. It's life. It's just what we do. Um, so we, the, the mall facility that, that he mentioned, are people growing those grains also in North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, one of the really interesting, cool things about Riverbend Malt is that they are—they've made it part of their business model to use what is available in North Carolina. So they make their—they're like barley is six row, and which is kind of you know you don't see that as much these days, and a lot of craft breweries don't use six row, but they made it just this 
that was what they could get. So they said, I'm going to find out a way to sell this to all the craft breweries around us. And, um, it's just kind of one of those things where you just got to kind of educate yourself and, um, trial and error, and you're going to figure out how to be successful with it. Um, and you know, they, they have a rye that's really incredible. They have a wheat that's really incredible. And it's, was that the Renza Bruzzi variety, the one that was available from before the civil war? Exactly. Yeah. And then they, they just found this new, uh, seashore black rye it's called, um, kind of on the coast of South Carolina that, um, you know, there was like one farm that basically was like, holy crap, I, we found this rye that hasn't existed anywhere else. And it's kind of like a native variety to America. So river Bend jumped on it and started malting it and selling it. And that, you know, this is just the, it's just such a cool part about the area that we live in and allows us to make beers that do have that kind of terroir to them. They, this is a flavor. Um, it's different. This is our flavor. And, uh, you know, we're always kind of learning how to perfect it, how to make it, work best for us, uh, how to accentuate the beauty of it all. And that's, that's like part of the fun of what we do every day. Another question, Josh. I was drinking. Serious question. <laughs> I, I was zoning out for a second. You brought another beer. So for Untapped, we have another beer we can sell. Well, untapped. Um, I gave the bottle away. So we're not going to have the name on there. But Coronado. Uh, basically, we were talking earlier on at lunch how... Uh, Oh, the bottle's floating in by the ghost hand. <laughs> Producer's ghost hand, uh, Coronado North Island IPA. And the interesting thing about this, the reason I brought it in today, is because we talk about, you know, five years ago, East Coast IPAs were basically a bad word. No one cared about them at all. But now this rise of sort of softer, juicier, a little bitter, high tropical fruit flavor IPAs, which has sort of become synonymous with the Northeast. And the East Coast has become a buzzword everywhere you go. And so now we're finding a San Diego brewery, whereas five years ago, we really talked about West Coast IPAs as sort of the, uh, you know, the zenith of what we thought IPAs could be. And nowadays, the San Diego brewery is calling their beer a New England style India pale ale. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating how quickly things are shifting in the landscape that something that was basically a slur is now something, you know, an emblem of pride. That's amazing. And Doug, so don't you wish you brought one of your IPAs now? <clears throat> no, I got Mr. Bill Lowe's here. He's my best friend. He's the only friend I need. Of course. So let's, okay, some more, more beer things, like your tap room and stuff. A couple of, like, things like, what about waiting in line? You know, Josh, you said you might be doing a story you know, we always talk about people lining up for cans at breweries and stuff. I, I don't you know, I'm not sure if that really there's certain marketplaces bear that up. I'm not sure if that's really a phenomenon that's caught on so much in Asheville because it's so It does. Um we, I mean, for us, we are kind of selective about which release we want to organize that way. So the last one we did was on New Year's Eve and we released the I'll just call it Juice Bar collab with Other Half um, and Skillet Donut Stout. So we had fairly decent line. It was pretty chilly. Um, Doug and I brought our fancy beverage machines from home, so our espresso maker and our juicer, and we made espresso shots and juice shots for everybody in line wow. while they waited. And these were can can release, yeah, can yeah. releases. Um, and so we, you know, certainly. For folks, when they do come out and they do wait in line, like we're very humbled and gracious, and you know, certainly want to make it an experience. You know, as many people make it themselves, but we want to be a part of that with them for sure. Yeah, I mean, an economy is a scale, right? I mean, Asheville's a town of eighty thousand people; it's with not thirteen breweries. million people, mm-hmm. and it, it's pretty fantastic to to yeah. walk down to the brewery at eleven and see a line of two hundred people waiting for your beer. That's pretty fantastic in a town like Asheville. So we, you know, super humbled by it. Okay, tap rooms. What kind of glassware do you guys have? 
or do you care? Do you not care? Well, do you have a glassware we, program? We have. We used to have more of a glassware program. We were talking about it earlier. Um, we used to serve our glassware in you know beautiful logoed glassware, but those tended to um, walk away. And certainly in our beginning stages. Um, that was a really hard pill to swallow um, financially and morally. Kind of ties into what I was saying. I kind of um, mentioned earlier about like we took this trip to Europe together before burial, and that was a big part of just kind of what shaped our ideas of what the brewery was going to be like, what the tap room was going to be like. And we, it was really cool to go into different beer bars in Belgium. And, you know, I remember one per one uh, occasion where the bartender actually apologized because she didn't have the proper glass for the beer that I ordered. And that basically meant the glass that had the logo of the brewery that I ordered. And like, that was such a big deal to them um, that they had to apologize about it. So we, when we first opened, we were like, we kind of wanted to wrangle that concept and, and we tried for a little while. Yeah, about a year. <laughs> Apparently Europeans are less willing to slide your glass into their purse <laughs> and walk off with it, though. And then, So JT and Tim, as like the brewery guys, tell us like each a beer that has inspired you that you may not necessarily want to make, but a beer that you've been inspired by in your career. Um, personally, uh, going back to uh, what Josh was talking about, Northeast IPAs, uh, earlier, um, I moved down to Asheville from Boston um, and kind of was just around when Trillium started making a big splash and all the other great New England uh, breweries honing that style. Uh, and, you know, before I was a professional brewer, I was obviously a home brewer, as almost all professional brewers are. Um, and that was one I was trying to perfect at home um, and was it, it's it's a fickle fickle beast getting that that uh that beer perfect um i still don't think that i have but uh none of us do yeah plenty of time and tim yeah. what was one beer for you well as i kind of mentioned i mean saison is kind of or farmhouse sales in general is the most inspiring thing for me as a brewer um the whole there's such a romance to it in my mind. Um, just the concept of brewing a beer uh, on a farm for the farm workers with the ingredients that you have available to you. Um, not making like a commercial beer that's always the same. Kind of embracing that concept of um, just use what you have and it is what it is and uh, it's going to change all the time. And that style, I mean, a Beers like uh, Phantom are good examples. Or like um, Brasserie Therese in France. Doug and I visited that. Thierry. Thierry, thank was, you. We had him on the show. Yeah, I saw Daniel that. Thierry. I should have known how to say it. My favorite, one, Thierry Extra, <laughs> one of my favorite beers. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. And, you know, Tim, Doug, we wouldn't know because our whole conversation with their head brewer was in we? Oui? <laughs> yeah. And sign language. Doug, then, Tim and I didn't know a single French. Doug and Jess, we're wrapping up the show. You guys, think of one question that you guys... Uh, are asking each other now because as, as you guys are growing a little bit and I'm sure on your website and your Instagram people can follow that but you know what's a question that you guys are asking each other now about you know the direction of your brewery you know, and what you guys are trying to do I know Jess has that one Ooh, that's a big <laughs> question um, well I, it's for us it's always again like reaching kind of within and what like is important to us is people 
um, you know, the question, I feel like we've answered a lot of our questions, which is great. Um, you know, one of the big ones, right, in this industry is, well, how big are you going to get? You know, like, if all the demand is there, are you going to expand again? Are you going to expand again? And for us, personally, and we've always felt this way, we wanted two locations, we wanted to get to a certain barrelage a year, and we wanted to stop expanding. And we wanted to start investing within instead of investing out to constantly expand. Um, and that's something that's incredibly important to us is that we want to do what we love to do. We want to work with these amazing people that we work with and we want them to love what they do and um, kind of, you know, go on a vacation once a year and maybe put the kids through college, that kind of stuff, you know, but all the while doing something we're all passionate about. So Great. Josh, you have a last question for anybody? You, you just, just, just put me on the spot, Jimmy. That, that's the name of the game, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Come on, journalist. Come on, Josh. Come on, journalist. Think of a question in the next point two seconds. Ash, for you guys, you know, what is it about New York City that you guys love? What, when you come here, you know, beer, of course, is a big part of the visit right now. But what's one thing you guys love doing when you come to town that's just not beer-focused or even food-focused? What is it about the city? I mean, we that, have to mention the art, right? Because yeah. it's such a good big part of burial. Like, Jess and I were just talking about this in the cab uh, from the airport. Like, let's go to a museum while we're here. Um, art has always been a big inspiration to us. Um, if you've seen our cans, it's something obvi- we hope is quite obvious that we put a lot of time and effort Could into. Could you describe it. them briefly? They're, uh... Well, we, we work with this really amazing illustrator, David Paul Seymour, and uh, we found out about him through music, basically. He does a lot of uh, album covers and concert posters and stuff like that. Um, he has this really cool like combination of a little bit morbid, which ties in with our name, but also very psychedelic, which we've always kind of loved. A lot of the art that inspired us from um, from from Europe um, mm. w- is actually quite quite psychedelic in a lot of ways and, and dark. So we uh, we kind of embrace that, and it's it's just a big part of who we are. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'll say thank you guys for coming on. Oh, thank to wrap you so it up. much. Um, right you. now, we're rushing over to what, what part are you guys at tonight? Haymar- Haymaker. Haymaker. We're rushing Manhattan. so fast right now. Yeah, rush yes. over oh there. my gosh, it starts in an hour. Uh, it starts in an hour. Oh my gosh, you guys quick, better everybody, hurry. Everybody, give it a quick. <laughs> say your names one more time and, and your role. So um, Jessica Reeser, co-owner. Doug Reeser, co-owner. Burial Brewer, yeah. Tim Gormley, head brewer. JT Moret, head production brewer. Uh, Josh Bernstein, journalist and author with the time to get off in the middle right. of the day. And the burial <laughs> events of tonight, Haymaker with other half, Wednesday, tours, Thursday at threes, and Friday, Proletariat with, with Transmitter. And uh, our event's coming up, New York City Brewer's Choice, March 1st for Beer Week. Check it out, New York City Brewer's Choice. Dot com. In closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors for bringing these cans of Kolsch to us today in the studio. Thanks again to Jess, Doug, Tim, JT, and Josh for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, and engineer, David Tattashore. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.